0: Um, But welcome. Thank you for coming to our online photo book book group, and we are in a really special situation today and I'm quite excited. So I will unpack that. Um, As you saw in the waiting room, we do ask you to mute um, because we do record these sessions and uh, that can make it really difficult to get background noise. But we want this to be a conversation. So it's going to open up and uh, you will have chances to ask your questions in person and um, we encourage that. But for the moment, if you can mute, that's great. Another that I've learned from one of my guests is to begin with saying, um, first of all, introducing myself. I can get away from that and not even say who I am. So I'm Jay Savilla Smith. And one of the things that we like to ask is that those of us who consider ourselves visual activists or in the position to amplify contemporary photography, we really are uh, assisted by your following us on social media and spreading the word about what we do. So I hope that um, all of you can do that um, and that you create a community because that's what makes this so interesting. The photo book book group started over a year ago, uh, was supposed to be local in Somerville and because of the pandemic and lockdown went online and it ended up literally encountering people from four continents and starting a conversation where we can share the challenges, our ideas, and resources. And that's what happens each time. Um, and it always goes off in a different direction. It's unscripted. Um, however, this time I'm very excited because this is um, the opportunity where we have both the photographer and the person that is the subject matter, the the model, the muse, and we're really able to take apart the bookmaking process. I work with a lot of individual photographers and a lot of people want to put their work into book form. And it is such a layered process with so many creative decisions and choices that are, are difficult to make. And the idea that we get to unpack this today um, with, the two people who made this happen and synergistically made it happen. It was not a planned uh, project, which is even more interesting. Um, So how do you enter into projects? So we're going to unpack all of the above um, and I'm going to introduce who we are featuring. It is David Horton um, and Beatrice Lovely. So welcome to you both. I'm really excited. I do know David um, and it was Partly the fact that his book arrived and I didn't know about its coming uh, forth and I opened it and just was hands down like, ooh, we have to do this on the photo book book group and I have to get in David's head about this and I had many questions and many reflections. So I honestly have only talked to David a couple of times since and I really am saving all of these questions for now. But David is a documentary and street photographer with a graphic design company, Horton Hecht, correct? Horton. Hect Horton, I knew it was one way or the other, wrong way. Sorry, Hect Horton. Um, and you're a member of the International Photography Collective, Observe, which I'd love for you to talk about. And your photography has been exhibited nationally and internationally and published widely in the Huffington Post, Stern Magazine, Zeke Magazine, which is part of Social Documentary Network, Edge of Humanity Magazine, and iShot Magazine. And I believe that Beatrice is your first monograph. Yeah, that's
1: correct. Yep.
0: Cool. And Beatrice is a Swedish actress and model, and we really appreciate you coming different time zones into the meeting. And she entered into a collaborative relationship with David, which unfolded in the months that followed the loss of her husband. So the book has this incredibly intimate feel to it. um, And it just resonates with trust. And one of my descriptions of it, I called it a benediction, because it really feels in a way like a prayer. Um, And I think that the two of you did something really extraordinary to create that in an object form, you really took something very um, amorphous, uh, and not easily defined, not easily captured, not easily experienced. And um, and made it tangible. So uh, I, I'm very excited to, to open it up to you, um, to ask you to um, unpack it. And I do have visuals. So I'm gonna go over to a screen and share that. And I actually am doing it from the galleys because I wanted to go from your creation of it and then we'll see the real deal. Um, so welcome and and please join our conversation. David, start with uh, what were you doing and how you found Beatrice? What was your original impetus?
1: Um, So I primarily am, I started out as a street photographer um, probably 15 years ago, um, was sort of dumbfounded by learning that you could take photographs of people without asking um because really for me it's all about people and um so that's how i got into it the more i got into street photography the more i realized i was drawn to projects um more documentary based where i could go into a situation and really just be part of that and uh to the point where you earn trust and um and can almost act like a fly on a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is really what appeals the most to me. Uh, one of I have uh, a couple of very long-term documentary projects. One is at a mental health facility here in Boston that I've worked on for over five years, um, and then another one which um, is documenting uh, the. Um, African community, African American community in New Orleans that um, they're called the Black Indians. um, And I've been uh, following that for uh, two or three years. Um, And so I was really uh, looking to do something completely out of my comfort zone. In my line of work, I art direct photographers all the time um, doing portraiture and um, sort of more reportage style. And so I really wanted to take myself out of the comfort zone and work with a model and um, where I could control the script a bit more. And um, so I worked with a couple of different models um, before I Found Beatrice, and um, from our very first meeting, um, that is when she shared that that her husband. We had a little bit of a difficulty making uh, arranging that first uh, shoot, um, but that's when she shared to me about her her personal life and and that she had lost her husband and. Um, I had also shared with her what I was looking for, um, in photographing a model. I'm not a fashion photographer. I have no interest in that type of photography. Um, but that I was looking more to create a space where she felt comfortable and I felt comfortable and I could just capture moments that, um, she almost like I wasn't there. And, um, that was definitely informed by my documentary work is you know you get people so comfortable with you that they can just sort of go about their 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 lives and they're aware of you to to a certain degree but um that's where the real magic for me happens and i was curious whether that could even happen with a model um
0: were you originally thinking of honestly just growing your skill set?
1: Totally. Yep. I had nothing. I had no project in mind. I was really just looking to, I guess it's a bit masochistic, but um, uh, just taking myself out of the comfort zone and seeing, hey, can I do this type of thing? I'm I'm curious. Um, I've got sort of a vision in mind, a loose sense, but I had no idea really was it a one-time thing? Um, I was just sort of following what what made me curious. I,
0: I, I have to say that from my concept-aware curriculum, that you're just bringing out so many things. First of all, out of your comfort zone is like a demand if you wanna grow as an artist. Um, that is where you grow on the edges of that. Um, the other is the idea of developing a skill and looking from a different perspective. You'd already done documentary, but you wanted to actually like understand portraiture. So putting yourself in the difficult and un, you know not comfortable position of a completely different way of photographing will totally inform the way that you normally or naturally photograph. It will all build. Uh, just like you mentioned, your documentary assisted you in how you could develop the relationship. And the third is following your curiosity. like curiosity is key, but also the ability to stick with that being what leads you, not like, oh, I'm making a book and then go backwards, but actually to start from the curiosity. I often call it like Hansel and Gretel picking up breadcrumbs and the breadcrumbs are your curiosity. And it, and it is like, well, what what would happen with this? like, And I, I put this piece in here. It's actually quite small, but it's... Um, you know, gives a little synopsis of the fact of the beginning of the, of the book um, idea and also references that not everything, not every shot in the book is of Beatrice. There are a few other uh, mostly nature, but other stills. Um, so what I wanted to do was um, ask you, Beatrice, what it was like for you. I mean, in terms of, of being a model, um, you're asked to do a lot of things. And, and from my background working with Onset and in making ads and editorials and fashion spreads, um, the very best people that we work with are actors. It's like, I'd rather go to an acting agency than go to a modeling agency because you can possess such uh, you project. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what happened for you. I don't think you were thinking of an explore of your own interiority when you when you said yes to David.
2: No.
0: So let's hear <laughs> no. from your perspective. Yeah. yeah
2: well, um, initially, it was just like this one shoot with David. Um, and then whatever it was a few weeks later or something like that, he reached out to me and said, Where's the effect of hey you know I'd like to to do this book project and you know explore where it would take us um, if you would be interested in that and I said yeah absolutely certainly um, it's interesting what you say about about being uh, being an actor because it's I've always found that that does um, sort of inform my my work um, one way or another as a model because. You're always um, sort of, to quote um, whoever Los Sanford Meiser, you're you're um, you're telling the truth, but but with, with someone else's sort of life. It's it's a it's a, it's a tr- it's a truth, but it's also not, you know. Um, and in in so much of my work as a model, um, I'm always you know putting on a mask putting on something that's not 100% me. Um, so what I really, really enjoyed being able to do with with David was to just take that mask off. And um, it was not easy at first because, you know, as a model, I'm always um, used to jumping into kind of that role um, and to shed that role um, almost completely. Um, I've, hopefully completely, uh, to just sort of be myself and to be revealed and to be truthful in that moment, lest we miss it. Um, That was a challenge, but it was also fantastic and it was um, wonderfully relaxing from my point of view because I was able to just not wear any makeup, not wear, um, to quote Eleanor Rigby, not not wear a face that I keep in a jar by the door. It was Mm. just me to to the best of my ability, you
0: know? -hmm. How do you believe the place that you were in in your own grief process played into the experience?
2: It definitely sort of affected, obviously, how I was and how I behaved, and that will have played out, I think, in my face. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably much more so than I realized. but yeah it it would have certainly affected you know the 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 general atmosphere um and the whole brief thing came up sort of by accident in a sense really because it's not something that you necessarily share on a first meeting but the way Mm -hmm. the way it came up actually is you'll probably see i forget um in some of the images in the book there's there's a locket hanging around my neck Mm -hmm. and at the time um I don't carry it anymore, but it was a silver locket given to me by my mother, um, and it contained a lock of my husband's hair and a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, being the good model that I was, I asked him, would you like me, you know, is it okay if I still wear this? Because typically it shoots, you know, you don't want to be wearing whatever jewelry you're given or none at all, or there's there's pretty strict ideas about that. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, absolutely fine. So it's kind of, that's how that conversation came up. Mm-hmm. and. No, know, we, we had an initial first conversation and all while David was shooting um, and maybe that sort of got us into our first comfort zone.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: time and time again David had to remind me to just not do anything, not do anything, not pose, not put anything on, just be there and uh, that, was, that was just fantastic.
0: So interesting. I was thinking of two things. One is it was putting on some level, putting you out of your comfort zone too, right? Uh, um, And it will also influence when you go back to model again as a result and probably any acting as well. Um, And I guess I also wondered if it provided you an opportunity um, almost as an outlet for processing emotion. I wondered about that.
2: I didn't um, think of it at the time as an outlet for anything in particular, um, but it was, um, again, a chance for me to to do what I love doing, which is um, modeling, posing for the camera, creating art with, Somebody whom I spotted right away was a fantastic artist. And here was my chance to, to really be part of, of making amazing stuff. And at the same time, um, being my own true self mm-hmm. and not, being, not, not acting anybody else, not, not being anybody else. I literally wore no makeup throughout the entire book. None, zero. Wow. A couple of times I um, was not even wearing my contact lenses, <laughs> so <laughs> David would have been a, a vaguely fuzzy sort of shape over in the corner.
0: <laughs> uh, that's great. Wow. A lot of freedom. Well, David, when did you know it was a book?
1: I think whenever I sense that, uh, to use your analogy of following breadcrumbs, whenever I get a sense like, oh, this can go somewhere, there's something really special here. In my mind, because I'm a graphic designer, I think in terms of books, um, collections of images put together. And when I said to Beatrice that I would love to try to make a book out of this, I had no idea really what that meant. Was that gonna be photographing her over 10 years? Was that gonna be photographing over five years? I had no idea. I just knew that there was a special chemistry um, that I knew was unique
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I just wanted to follow it. So I had no idea really where it was gonna end. And uh, thanks to the pandemic really, that is uh, that was sort of a natural, a natural point to at least put a bookend on that amount of work. I could have easily uh, photographed her for you know another five years um, and- How
0: alluded- long did you photograph?
1: Um, just shy of two years. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she may have alluded to it, but the times that we would get together, um, I knew in order to create the kind of sense of, The space where there was the trust between us, where magic could really happen, you don't do that in an hour. You don't do that in two hours. Um, So our sessions were typically three or four hours, sometimes even longer. And, you know, some of that was us just talking, hanging out, um, not talking, um, but just being comfortable in the space and uh, and following whatever you know, evolved.
0: How did you decide the locations?
1: That was really fun. That was a new, that was a new part for me. It was sort of like um, what I would imagine finding locations for shooting movies would be. Mm. I knew that I did not want this to be in a studio because studios are, are sterile. Um, I really wanted it to be very comfortable like you're in her room um, or her house. And so thanks to Airbnbs, that's really sort of how we did it. Um, And it started the first time we photographed um, was in the winter, so it couldn't be outside really, although we went outside anyway. You can see a couple of pictures lying on the table here where she's standing in the snow. so yeah so it was going through all these different locations and trying to find that type of a lived-in uh place that could be believable that this was her home or or this was a a lived-in space
0: and in terms of the other images that you ended up putting in were you collecting stills in the locations too
1: um, that's interesting. That is a, a little bit of that and a little bit of as the book evolved, um, it felt like one of my friends who looked at the book, a photographer friend, friends, uh, interpreted those uh, little people-less pictures as almost like palate cleansers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. I felt as I that sort of came about as I was building, putting the book together, it felt like it needed some, some breaks mm-hmm. um, and I wanted the images to be part of the story, but the truth is that's when I started digging into my archives and um, some of those pictures, one of them was taken in California, one, of, one was taken in uh, Vermont, um, one was taken with my iPhone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was really just sort of filling out the storyline. So that, that idea came later.
0: That's interesting because I wondered about that when you got into your sequencing, which I love this. I, I live for magnetic boards that I can put images up. It's like, I literally went to a residency that had magnetic wallpaper, and I was able to dump my work um, and put it up on the wall, which I had never done. And literally, it was like a game of Tetris. And I ended the residency saying, I think this is a book. And it's because I could see it. Um, You know, and my book is not images. It's, well, it is, but it's more text heavy. but still the ability to look up. And I like, I've done this with many people. If people come to my studio, they do it here too. Um, but some people describe living with the sequence. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a good idea. Um, what's, what's going on with the yellow notes on top of some of these?
1: Those are my little cryptic notes to myself. Um, well, to, to finish that point too, another benefit of the, uh, of the pandemic was that I had my entire office to myself. Um, everyone is working remotely now. So this is the wall that we post up all our, uh, our work in progress. And so I was able to start sequencing and that's in, my, in the other room in my studio and just left it up. We'd come in, move things around one day, let it live with it for a week, move things around. So that, that was another huge benefit. Um, so, to answer your question, the yellow um, that's when I started, like, once this was the point where I more or less got the, the sequence of the beginning to the end. It has changed. I can see this wasn't the, the actual final, final sequence. But at this point, this is where I started thinking um, in terms of in a book. I really like photo books that have a rhythm to them where Mm. you are, when you turn the page, you never know, is it gonna be a small picture? Is it gonna be a double page spread? Is it gonna be two pictures? And so it's that once I had the beginning and the end together, then I started thinking, okay, where in this sequence is, is a double spread? And I think those yellow notes to me are telling me where the large images happen um, so i starting to think about a rhythm um, at this point and making sure that they're separated far enough apart. Um, pictures that are hanging above each other, that's when I started getting the idea of bringing in some people-less environments and where I wanted those.
0: Mm-hmm. I like how you put it, people-less. I was also curious <laughs> as I was, that's part of what happened. I mean, I remember opening the book for the first time and I think my first conversation with you was like, Saying like every time I turn the page, I'm like, "Damn, yes!" Like it was just so good, and and because it was surprising, and you used everything in terms of having you know uh, a a full bleed in there, and then having something that was smaller and a white space next to it, and then you had three quarter, um, and you and and not even full page but just some i mean your graphic sense of balance really came through here like this like just stunning right um and uh, i remember commenting and i won't go down that rabbit hole but all those decisions i even love the color of (laughs) the book um like it's just so many creative decisions. One thing I thought with sequencing was I wondered if you and Beatrice had any discussions about that. I didn't know, Beatrice, if you had any say in any of this.
2: Mm, nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. The, the, I, yeah. the finished
1: book. I sent her the finished book. She was the
0: first one to yeah. it.
2: <laughs> He did. I have copy number one. And, yeah. Um, naturally, I love it. I
0: love it. Wow, yeah. it is stunning. Where, did you ever see final edits in terms of images or do you did you have any of the images before it was yes. a book? Yes,
2: I did, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have um, quite a few images and David mm-hmm. sent did send me collections after every shoot and I have them naturally saved.
0: Mm-hmm. Save them, so yeah. S- are there any that you have that you wish were in it that aren't?
2: I'm sure there are loads of them, because mm-hmm. um, David, David being you know the the skillful photographer that he is, there are so 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 many that are just absolutely top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, but naturally, the way you say it is just it it flows. The book in in its form just flows perfectly, and mm-hmm. the images that are there are there for that reason. Mm-hmm. So David's actually. Um, he did give me a couple of, of prints as well on, on a few different occasions. Um, and so they're up on my walls as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. There's one sequence. We'll go into um, uh, the individual images in a minute this is the last of the process images on here but one of the ones i was really struck with and i really loved the decision but i'm super curious and i think it's the second one down over on the right it's when the images were very very similar the lighting was ever so slightly different but your eyes were open in one and closed in the other and i was like okay how did that decision get made here it is
2: Yeah.
0: It's hard to see in my space. Unfortunately, dark. Yeah, super dark. Like, literally, there's a slight difference in your hand gesture and and your eyes. And then so your face moved a little bit, so the light's different. But I thought that was a super interesting choice. So can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's one of the examples where, when when Beatrice and I started working together, and um, I love this, she said, well, you know, I I very seldom directed her, if ever, Um, we would find a spot where the light was was right, um, and we'd work with that, but she said, uh, very early on, she said, well, unless you tell me to to stop, I'm just going to keep moving. And I said, that's great, that's great. <laughs> so, um, you know, and that's where my street photography background really came in, into play because we worked very fast. Um, and that's where you get those sort of split second changes in expression where maybe she was going into sort of a pose that might be something that she'd do for another photographer, but the move right after that is where she would show vulnerability or, um, and to be able to, to anticipate that and get that is um, definitely where the years of, of shooting on the street and documentary work really came into play. Um, so there's an example of, I loved what was happening as she was lying there looking up and I probably shot a sequence of like boom, 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 three shots cause I saw it sort of happening. And yeah, I, I, I I don't know exactly why I, I chose those, but I, I feel like it's it's a transition of sort of wondering and then resolving. Um, mm. They're very they're very hard things to put into words. As I think I told you earlier, you know, my documentary projects um, are so much easier to talk about <laughs> <laughs> because this is so personal. It's so intuitive. Um, yeah. And so, you know, as I, as I'm sequencing this, it's really sort of like you see the story beginning and what does the story need? And that's a trans, those two pictures I would say are transition images mm-hmm. that, that go from her in this sort of bizarre seller type situation to a very intimate looking you right in the eyes to the double spread that that follows these two images.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so interesting. That came up in another book, um, Laurent Chevalier's book. Um, where is it? It's called Enough, and it's on blackness in New York. And there were just four images that actually physically had cars in it. And he was they were parked, but he was using it as like a palate cleanser and kind of a grounding sense. So, yeah, all those decisions. I mean, I'm intrigued by all of them. So then now it's bound. (laughs) And uh, how did you come up with what you did with your font? How did you choose that?
1: Uh, um, Well, number one, I'm a type snob because I'm a graphic designer and and very, very um, into typography. And, uh, you know, you'll see this was one of the very early uh, forms of the book, which is when I I always bound bind things because it's a book and you've got to feel it. And, um, you know, I just put it in a, in a font and that's basketball. Um But I always had in the back of my mind, this has got to, it's got to be really special. It's got to be so precious. Um, I wanted it to be foil stamped, which for those of you who don't know, it's, it's when you have a Um, a pressing into something. And uh, you've got sort of a, this is a silver foil stamp. Um, You see it on books a lot. Um, And so once I got to the point where I was happy with the sequencing and then I could start thinking about materials, that's when I knew the pressure was on to find the font. And um, it took a long time.
0: I wondered if you'd had it designed.
1: Well, it's one of these fonts that have multiple characters um, to it. And I did want it to be very lyrical. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, the T there for this font, there's probably four different T's that you could choose from. Ah, cool. And so I chose to use this so that it sort of underscored part of the, the name. Mm-hmm. And it's quirky. It, it's sort of reminiscent of Bodoni, which is um. A, a font that has you know, very a real contrast between thicks and thins in the letter forms.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think of it as having any, um, I like that you use the word lyrical, but I think that these kind of creative decisions where you're actually trying to um, give a, a concrete thing it's inferences. So I wondered, is there other, besides lyrical, what were you wanting to infer with how, what you chose?
1: Hmm. I knew that I did not want a picture on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always just, the first, uh, the first time I heard Beatrice's name, it's not her modeling name. She has another name that, that, that's very common for models. Um, so when I found out what her actual name is, I just, I loved it. I loved the, the historical references. I loved that it was very rare, mm-hmm. um, almost a little old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like it could stand on its own. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I wanted a statement with the name before you even were introduced to who Beatrice was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really felt the um, rarity of it and the clarity of it. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I really liked that as well. Can you just technically tell me, is there a difference between embossed and foil stamp?
1: Yeah, embossed is when you're doing a pressing into something. So if you had just taken um, the letter forms and pressed that into um, the vinyl there,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and just left the impression so that you get the, uh, the font by
0: depth. Yeah, yeah, is. yep.
1: And also deboss, actually that is a deboss. If you go where the, the letter forms drop below the surface of the book, that's a, mm-hmm. it's a, a deboss.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it pops out,
0: I believe. Gotcha.
1: Um, and so a foil stamp is really literally pressing the um, whatever uh, material, in this case, silver, um, into, um, the vinyl.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciated what you said in terms of building the story, not only having lyricism, which I often talk about in terms of there needing to be a rhythm and, and a flow to the narrative. Um, you do the same whether you're hanging an exhibition or putting something in a, in a book form. Um, and also the idea of any sequencing to both start and stop with strength. And, and, and so uh, I, that's intuitive for me. I often get that sense when I'm sequencing. Um, but if I had to do this, uh, where you had all those options, I'm not sure I'd know where I would begin or end. Like, how did you figure that out? Yeah,
1: again, so much of this is intuitive Um, and it's um, it's taking, you know, like zillions, zillions of of prints. Um, I do believe in starting with prints Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to looking at images on the screen because Mm -hmm. you can spread them. I spread them, you know, on the other side of the office, all over the floor. And um, and it was like finding the starting point. That was really the first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the opening shot, this is not the opening shot, but the opening shot is, is, um, mysterious. It's, she's standing in shadow and, um, you know, it, 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 introduces you to her part visual, part shown and part not part in shadow, part in, part in light. Um, and so that was my starting point. I had no idea where the ending was going to go, but I just started building a rhythm from there.
0: hmm and I, I was not true to the book in, in how I put oh, this together, um, just to let you know. But I appreciated the variety, like even just between the two that we've just seen, you know, completely different treatments. Um,
1: and you- I also didn't know if I was gonna mix black and white in color. Um, obviously when you're shooting digital, this is, this is all digital, um, it was shot in color. But because I started out as an analog photographer, there are just certain situations where I'm thinking this is black and white. And if mm. I had a film camera, I would, just, would have just loaded it with trix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know in the book, I know a lot of people really disagree with mixing black and white and color. I don't buy into that at all. Um, you know, you have to be sensitive to it and it has to make sense. Okay. But, um, but no, I actually thought that added in yet another dimension by mixing color and black and white.
0: Mm-hmm. I have to say that it's a propensity of mine when I've exhibited. Uh, and, and literally, I was reviewing yesterday, and it was an entirely black and white uh, sequence. And I know that the person made the decision to make it black and white, but I really pushed to ask if there was any room to play with that because mm-hmm. I think, you know, a blanket decision isn't always the way, you know. Uh, I like how you said that some things called for um, a certain treatment. You know, I guess I'm a pro- I have a propensity to not have a rigid rule, um, you know, question it. And then if that's what it is, and it's all black and white, then that's what it is. But be open to the possibility.
1: Right. Um, and again, back to process a shot where you you know you showed me starting to put the um the sequencing together. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that yeah okay I want a black and white shot in here that opened a whole nother can of worms in terms of rhythm because I wanted to have a sequencing like I didn't want to have two black and whites following each other. So then I started having to think about that too. So okay I've got a black and white shot three three shots in. I'm going to try to end up with another one about seven more shots in so that there's then that rhythm as well. Mm -hmm. It's very, very similar if there are any musicians in the audience to, to writing a song, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. I know Beatrice is a musician as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, and I was a songwriter prior to being a a photographer. Um, And so, you know, all the things you think about in building a song is really the same when you're thinking about building a, a, the rhythm from a book from the beginning to the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those pause points are extremely important in music as well as, as you said, the the palate cleanser. Um, yeah, you need to give your eye a rest.
1: Right, right.
0: I think one of the things that struck me is how often I was aware of, um, discovery you know like you couldn't plan this image
1: no you couldn't and i'm so glad you see that because this happened so organically do you remember this beatrice i was just like yeah we were shooting in and around the flowers and then as she was sort of moving around i saw the shadows happen i was like oh my god this is is amazing and so then she just started moving within the shadows and um Yeah. yeah
2: And that's, that's how it happens. It's always, it's always organic and it just, um, not everybody can capture that. And um, I know select few people who can every single time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could stay on this image for such a long time because it, it just keeps giving surprises. Um, And, and I know that they're serendipitous, right? Like, you know, you didn't Necessarily plan for where those shadows fell, but they fell beautifully. And I mean, I'm sure you could, you could play with that, but still the rhythm. And then even the idea that you've got this one big blossom and it's only one that's that full frame. And then everything else just moving, it's really quite beautiful. And then that you can actually see so far in the distance, you know, every now and then you've got this kind of renaissance nod in some of these which is really interesting um you know I thought that with the first image the first portrait with the light on that very Dutch uh treatment so yeah a lot going on yeah I should have recorded myself in my kitchen because I was literally like there was verbal stuff going on to this mostly like sounds but it was and then it was like damn I have to call him (laughs)
1: so this is another great example of just letting things happen so i had had an imagine i had imagined um this is when beatrice had moved to new york and we met in worcester and i had gone the weekend before to scout out where we were going to shoot and so i found this pond um and so i had this image of her entering the water in a, in a dress um and we got that and it was fine but that's not where it stopped um and then i was like are you cool going in a little farther and she was like yeah of course i'll go completely and if you want and so literally both of us are in the water right <laughs> now <laughs> and um and it's a I could never have imagined this shot it's very similar to the, the, the previous one, um, but it's just a really good example of follow the follow the breadcrumbs and, and they will always lead to a far better scenario than you could have ever imagined.
0: I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and being in the moment, um, you know, and then you look at this and I can't get over like the clouds that are reflected and then where <laughs> the light hits the forehead. I mean. Again, the movement is just, it's just so beautiful. It's, I don't think you set out to do this, but it feels cinematic.
1: I'm very drawn to, I'm one of these weird people that watches movies and I'll pause a frame and take a photograph of it. (laughs) remember like it's either the lighting or it's a gesture and so i've got tons of them in my phone and yeah so i'm i i i very rarely will use artificial lighting um i love to be able to just watch it happen and see it happen
0: mm-hmm. wow.
1: and i feel like it's it's that way and i mean obviously in some movies it's artificial light but um yes that that is very much something that excites me.
0: Mm -hmm. You can, This is is a
1: great example, too. This is after we'd photographed for, you know, um, four or five times, Beatrice had offered, she was moving from the house um, that she lived with her husband and moving to New York. And it was her idea. She said, you know, would you like to come over and shoot in the house? And this was the basement of the house where, I believe your brother-in-law Lived?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So long story short, um, it was a mess down there, and this was post mess. Um, but as you can see, the, all the walls have been flood cut, which means we had a significant amount of mold down there. Um, so the place was probably still very stinky, I should imagine. And, you know, you, you might even see a bit of soap from the fireplace on my cheek and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that just, you yeah, it happened.
0: Well, kind of like mining the depths, right? And yeah. it's not all a pretty picture.
2: I thought it would be, you know, an interesting place for um knowing knowing a little bit about sort of what, what David likes to shoot and you know what's interesting. I thought, well, this might be a really interesting thing to play with. Of course I didn't realize it was going to be quite so difficult to shoot down there. I Me mean, not being a photographer at the time. But
1: <laughs> and it was cold too. <laughs>
2: yeah we love it
1: it's good yeah there was I don't you can't see it so much she may have rubbed some of it off but right below her eye um we were photographing Mm -hmm. near the chimney and at some point she just reached over and grabbed a little soot from the chimney and rubbed it on her
2: eye just no that was by accident (laughs) 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 I was just doing something and I must have absent-mindedly and then oh Damn,
1: <laughs> but it was great. I loved it. it, was, it was...
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Things that you yeah. Can't control. <laughs> no, that's what's really fun is being ready for ready for those moments. I remember being on a photo shoot with a, a horse um, in a paddock, and it was a fashion shoot. And the model put her hands on the horse, and then went like this, and her hands were completely black, <laughs> and that was the shot, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really fun. Um, to just, that's the fun of it, right? When you get all the pieces together and then you just let it rip and you wait for the magic to happen. And it, and it does, it's really fun. I just wanted to underscore that last point though about um, kind of cinematography. Um, it was interesting, my medium uh, or one of them is drawing. And I finally took a class uh, in January and we started with film and our drawings had to be if we were going to do a film like in stills. And it made me look at movies. I mean, I've noticed a lot and and I love like, um, which one is the Wes Anderson with the hotel? And he always is on center. Always, always like that could be an entire exhibit of just stills from the the Budapest Hotel. Um, Hilarious. Like, I just love how planned that is. But it was really hard for me to draw thinking from that other place. And then it just really pushed um, me thinking about um, cinematography. And then I was on a book uh, discussion, not one that I was leading. And the whole discussion broke down into sequencing and that nobody teaches sequencing and how hard sequencing is. And it's like, it's so much like film. Um, So it's interesting to dip into the different disciplines that that can inform you. Um, what I really like too, though, is the variety, right? Like you're you're using natural light and you're doing portraiture and then you're doing those stills without people. And then like not every one of your shots is cinematic, right? So it's that's what I mean about constantly being surprised um, and curious, which was really fun. Um, and then I think, I don't know which came first, but obviously if you use the shadow in one place, this was a really great, balance of it somewhere else that you've also, part of the story is the the, the floral shadow right. coming up again. You want to make a, a note, I want to get to questions, but um, of wardrobe, um, a former wardrobe stylist and a former clothing designer, um, you know, that's really key. And people often don't think about that number one or think about it enough Um, and I just want to make a note in terms of like personal projects. I can remember one uh, person I was working with that had done some crazy wonderful imagery except there was just three changes of clothing. So if I could never use a lot because I couldn't use it all in the same clothes like and, and even that there was absolutely no print in this other body of work and like just how you have to think about those things. So what about that?
1: We spent a lot of time before every shoot. Um, I would send samples, tons and tons of samples of, of clothing that I was interested in. And, um, you know, right from the beginning, I wanted the wardrobe to be very secondary, not to distract from the emotion. Um, And I sort of wanted her to feel almost angelic, Mm -hmm. um, mysterious, um, but never to let the clothing distract. And so that before every shoot, um, I would send samples of, of clothing that I responded to and she would write back, yeah, I got some of that. I can, I can get pretty close to that. And um, what was really cool—the very first time we shot together—we um, had started that way, and Beatrice interpreted that she wanted her interpretation of that was to do all different shades of white. That mm. she just thought, and I thought that was great. Like the, there's a there's a great collaboration where right from the beginning, she wanted to be part of you know the creative process, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. I never would have thought that, but that, and that really worked for me. And um, so you'll see that, you know, even though there are grays, it's, there's rarely ever sort of colorful clothing. Um, the white to me really
0: worked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gave you what you were looking for.
2: This um, was towards the very, very end of our last shoot together. So it was a
1: very cool ending. It was in Worcester where we started out at the pond and then we both felt that we needed some urban, more urban type shots. So we went into the city and just started walking and and looking for locations. This is actually in the back of my car. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I thought we were in a car, but I love yeah. the um, I love the lighting in it. And what's interesting is is that very first portrait outside in this same setting, or not?
1: Very first portrait, um, the
0: one this one um, that I pulled out here. What, what I pulled out in my PDF, I've got to find it in the book. Um, because the lighting is so similar, the kind of reds oh, in background. Let me see if it's here.
1: It may be, if it's the one, the one you started with? Yeah. Where it's very red? Yes. Yeah, no, actually that is, mm-hmm. she's in a shower. Um, yeah. and, and that that is artificial light. So that, I brought that red light in. Um, okay,
0: so it's interesting. So I found it, but the light in yes. here, the tones are really similar to what's to the left of the car.
1: That's serendipitous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we marked the car under ambient lighting that um, that I was moody and um, and that red actually is not even the tail lights. That was uh, some other external lighting source that was happening.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's ironic, but it actually looks like it again, shadowed something floral. I'm not sure, but that's at least what it looks like. Yeah, let me see. I don't know if that's my last or yeah, this is Hmm. also Worcester, I assume. That is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we found this abandoned, you know, it was right in the middle of COVID. So it was really like an (laughs) abandoned city. Um, It was in July, I believe. And it was a, an abandoned parking lot and booth that just happened to be open when we tried the door.
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, just scouting around. It's amazing the reflections of the two lights that you got right under the half of the windows. Things like that, like your graphic ah. sense just like yeah. keeps coming into play here
1: all that Look, stuff I take for granted.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, frankly, I think that what happens is it's second nature to you. So you're not even looking, right. it just kind of like computes that it's done. Right. Right. Yep. Um, no, which is, true. yeah, which is really, really fun. Um, I think that's the end of, yeah. So we can go back to not sharing and, uh, and open up for for questions. And Deb, you're the person looking at chat. I wasn't looking at anything. So lead us forward if there's raised Oh, I I
2: think that the questions that people asked have mostly been answered so far. Um, But anyone who would like to unmute yourself and ask a question that you have? We have one from Nate. Eight, would you like to ask? You can I unmute yourself? Yeah, I can ask. I can okay. ask, sure.
1: Um, yeah, this is a really, really intimate project, it, it appears. And I'm wondering if you could talk about um, both uh, Patrice and David, if, if you wouldn't mind, how, how intimacy was involved in this photographic project. Hmm. You want
2: uh, to so- it, I mean, again, it, it, I guess probably depends on slightly how you define intimacy. But um, mine and David's relationship was one built on on um, initially it was just purely a a, um, pro, a um, professional relationship that just sort of evolved into into one of of mutual friendship and um, respect and um, enjoyment of each other's company at a purely friendship level that evolved into uh, a, a common understanding, hopefully, of, of um, David's creative process that I was just um, amazingly honored to, to go on this journey with him.
1: Yeah, and Nate, the only thing I would add to that is that, um, It was very organic, Um, like Beatrice said that, you know, the project started out as just a, you know, sort of a a normal shoot. Um, But I guess the types of pictures that I was interested in um, required vulnerability. And the only way you can get authentic vulnerability, I think is to create a space of trust um, where Beatrice felt safe um, around me and um, and vice versa I guess
2: yeah I felt like I really did um I mean I do know that that photography again is is a capture of of the fleetingest of moments and um as a model especially with David knowing kind of what he was looking for I I really had to sort of try to be revealed all the time, lest one of those those moments get lost. you know and so that's what I was always sort of striving for to, to sort of not put anything on again. I
1: think. And even in my documentary work, Nate, um, which I'm much more versed in, um, it's all about creating trust, um, you know, getting into a situation where you, are a fish out of water, but you make your intentions pure and um, clear, and that resonates. People people get that, and uh, that's what allows them to be comfortable, to put their guard down.
0: I think it reminds me of, because when I was introduced to the work, uh, I don't know what you call the project at the mental hospital in Boston.
1: Oh, the Lindemann Center is the name of the building.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That was the first that I was introduced to um, from your documentary work, and I was so blown away by it. Um, and again, it's this nature of because you are graphically composing, um, that just is second nature. But then the people that you were featuring, you were like a fly on the wall because there was just you are invisible, which is what you want. Um, But I think what you got both there and here is authenticity. Um, So interesting that the vulnerability uh, might be the intention, uh, but in order to capture it, um, there needs to be authenticity to it. You can't like manufacture, Right. I
1: would say the intent, my intention actually is the authenticity. Mm -hmm. Uh, But knowing in order to get that, you have to create a space, a space of trust and vulnerability. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, I could never have done, taken on a project like this one without the documentary work that I had done. And in those situations, you know, yes, I always had my camera there, but um, oftentimes it's just showing up day in and day out and not even picking up the camera, but just getting to know the people um, and creating just creating that space, letting them know what your intentions are. And then they're like, cool, okay, yeah, this this guy's real. And that's when the magic starts happening.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And that often takes a lot of time, particularly in documentary work is, you know, you just have to keep showing up and you don't get photographs many days, you come home empty-handed, but it's all part of the journey and you just have to be committed to it.
0: Give it the time and give it the space.
1: Right, right.
0: Mm -hmm. Anyone else like to ask how how this came to be, other creative decisions.
1: Or anything. True. (laughs) Leah.
2: So did you look at a lot of models' pictures in order to choose Beatrice?
1: Yes. Um, And I had worked with a couple other models before I got to Beatrice and... um, You know, that that was all part of the learning process. Um, But it was a surprise when I found her and her sensibility, um, her willingness to be open and honest and she just got what I was going for. I mean, I explained it prior to our very first shoot, like the types of images I was looking for. But yeah, and and that's where I sort of knew after having worked with other models that how how unique and special she is.
2: How lucky you were.
1: Yes, indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Mm
0: -mm. I have another question, which is about the-
1: There's a hand up with Lori.
0: Perfect, go. Thank you. You've got quicker eyes.
1: <laughs> Tell her. you. Should, oh, you got there. David. You
2: go.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. So, your your decision not to include words seems almost egoless, or at least very generous, um, to let your viewers interpret your intentions differently. Would you like to speak more about that?
1: Yeah, that's I'm I'm thank you for bringing that up actually. Um yeah, it was a very conscious decision. Um I have since written sort of a summary of the project and that came uh from another photographer who recommended that I, I provide some context to this. But I really didn't want to affect the viewers' Like as soon as you hear a little bit of Beatrice's backstory, um, it affects the way you per- the viewer perceives the pictures. And I really wanted to keep it open ended so that the viewer could bring their own story to it. And again, that comes back to songwriting, um, which I reference in that summary, where you know the best songs for me are those songs where, yes, the 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 writer is writing perhaps about a personal situation but leaves it open-ended enough so that people can bring their own story to it and interpret it however it applies to their lives and i still don't know I, i i some people have said that they were really surprised that there was no text in it but um it was a very conscious decision whether or not that works or not is another question but um that was my intent anyway. Do you have a, a feeling about that, Sibylla?
0: The leaving open to not give the backstory? Yeah. Um, it worked. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> it totally was, my ongoing curiosity, but, but honestly, it didn't leave a hole either. So that it was, it was not one where I needed to know. And you probably kicked me off into an area of my own that I, you know, you just left a lot of doors open. Um, And allowed me to open my own. And so it didn't feel incomplete or like a, a, like I had to have a need to understand, Um, which I think was wonderful. And I think it's interesting because I just came from reviewing for two days and I really understand the struggle between text and image and the balance of it. I forget who said that you're in every image you take, um, you know. But the idea that there was one person in particular that it was really wonderful because he'd obviously given a lot of thought to what he was doing and the content um, of and direction of his work. Um, but the amount of text that he wanted to share so you knew exactly what he was thinking weighted down the experience yeah. and literally didn't help right so it's that idea of you know balance and really what's necessary um you know uh, when i talked to david campany uh, part of our discussion in our photo book book group was this idea he calls things that are like um text visual I mean we are reading pictures right and even when you were talking about the story your your notes are images you know whether you're talking about making a song or making this sequence so there's like there's other things that are lifting up the flow and it's being attuned to that right um but what I'm really struck with is how many creative decisions go into this, uh, how to fund it, um, what's the length of time, um, uh, those creative decisions when you want to do embossed and it's too much money or you know like even when when you come up with an idea um but it can't be and you have to compromise or where do you compromise and i'd be curious um about how many you made what you thought about when you made it but i I see another i don't know lee if that's a new question or if your hands up from before it's a new one relating to what he just said well in my other in my other life i'm a ghostwriter and I often ask people, are there things you would have done differently? So maybe, maybe it's too soon to ask you that because your book just came out, but I just kind of was curious about it.
1: I don't think differently, I guess. Um, for me, I, I would have loved the journey to have gone on farther. Um, And I feel like, you know, if I could have photographed for two more years, the story would have been that rich, that much richer. Um, So I guess that that's more a regret than a. um, Yeah. Yeah, than something I would do differently.
0: But I am interested in those questions, Sybilla just asked.
1: Yes. Oh, about the. Yeah. So I knew. that I just, I, that I had to self-publish just because it's what I do for a living. And there's just too many things that I would have wanted to control that I just couldn't have given up to someone else telling me, dictating, you know, um, yeah, I've forgotten the other specifics of, um, oh, like it was, it was, um, determining a budget Mm. um yeah I mean I because this this was a really different project for me um from the other type of work that I know and that other photographers know me for and I knew it was going to be a little perhaps too out there for them too different from um And so I purposely just decided, okay, I'm only going to print 50 books, but um, I had a price point that I wanted to keep it as affordable as possible. So there are in that process all sorts of, you know, limiting the the amount of pages. you know, when you're foil stamping on the cover and also on the spine that include that inc- every little detail, um, affects the per unit cost. And so I had sort of a limit of, you know, what I wanted each book to be. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to break the, the, the hundred dollar mark. Cause I just felt like that's just too exclusive. And, um, so that's another regret. I wish I, I, I would love to have gotten the book down to, I still tried to make it as affordable as possible. There's very, I, I, I'm really happy if I, if I broke even, which I did. Um, and that was sort of the goal for me. It was, you, you don't produce books to make money. Um, and even the best photographers that produce tons of books will say the same. Um, it's, it's really a labor of love. Um, more so than it's gonna be a, something that's gonna fund fund your, paying your rent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I was curious, and uh, someone was asking uh, in the chat about your paper choices. Yes. Um, is this a semi-gloss?
1: It's, they call it, um, it's really not matte. I didn't want a very high gloss, and so I don't know how familiar people are with the printing process, but when you're doing a limited run, which this is definitely considered, anything really below two or 300 is considered a pretty limited run. Um, I knew that it would be printed digitally, which this is, um, as opposed to offset printing. Um, and so This particular printer, which is a great printer, um, was limited. It wasn't like the skies of the limit in terms of what papers you could choose. There were probably three or four options that they had. When you print Offset, um, which is a traditional printing press, you have many, many more options. Um, But I just know from, I have tons of my own photo books and I just don't like it when when pages are very reflective and and it affects the way you perceive the image.
0: You worked with um, edition one books?
1: Yes, in San Francisco.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you scout out others?
1: I did. Um, And another one of your your previous guests, Matt Eck, um, Mm I I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Yes. I actually reached out to him because I saw he had used edition one and he turned me on to a variety of other printers. I ultimately decided on them because they're very transparent about how you can calculate. They actually on their website have a price calculator and you can start, you know, you can look at if you're looking at 48 pages and you're considering 48 or 56. You can see very quickly what the, what the difference is through this calculator. So um and they were super responsive. And I asked that they sent me a variety of printed samples and uh, I was I was very impressed with their, um, it's some of the best digital printing I've seen. The technology has come a really long way.
0: Well, I think it's really also something to underscore that you reached out to a colleague and how generous people can be ah. because that's, I mean, Matt Eck is actually known for that. He's just such, a lovely person. Um, and he's always been like that. So you picked so the right person to ask.
1: And that was but- totally serendipitous as well. And his response yeah. was not like a three word response. It was literally like, you know, <laughs> and, and try this printer. And I've had this experience here. And it was, it was amazing. It was,
0: it was- yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember I sent him I I got a couple of extra copies and I sent him one as well just as a thank you.
0: Yeah yeah I mean I think that's one of the wonderful things within the industry and that people don't often think of. Um, uh, I was telling you before we started that uh, the story of how I met Mona Kuhn and it was really that I was enamored with her work and then ended up having her come to my workshop when I actually talk about her work and how intimidating that could necessarily be. But it turned, you know, into such a lovely exchange. And um, you never know. And I remember when in my curating, uh, when I was the sole curator for the gallery, I. Uh, in boston that was the satellite exhibition space for the griffin i really could come up with some wacky ideas and i did uh my first show there was called Splashin because it was a mixture of water and fashion because i had found this photographer that literally photographed real fashion in a, in pools like underwater and everyone said wow how did you get howard Schatz?" and i'm like i called I just like, hi, like I really like what you're doing and have a conversation and that can open so many doors. And uh, so I want to underscore like lean on each other. I talk about it all the time here. It's why I created this platform. And I also talk about it in my classes that so many photographers tell you how they see and how they did what they did. Go to Alex Soth. You could be there for five days getting information. Go to Arno Minkinen's site. He literally has a list. And I quote number 12, which is about welcoming failure. Like That's why you lean into other people's work. Not because you need to look like them or they're going to tell you how that you, your voice, but they're going to give you the pieces that you need to strengthen your voice or to move it forward. Um, yeah, sorry. I had to digress to that to just say like, I would say that the
1: photography community, um, especially, you know, I have it to compare it to the graphic design community and, um, (laughs) the design community in general is so much more competitive and cutthroat and, the photography community is, and and it really doesn't matter what type of photography. Everyone is so giving, mm-hmm. um, so open to sharing what they've learned, and um, yeah, my, I, I love. Photography.
0: I wonder, and I'm not sure about this, but I think that that especially when I teach, I talk about creating a trusting and uh, a safe space because when you're talking your creative practice, it's vulnerable. You're in a vulnerable position. It takes courage to put your practice out there, even for you two to talk about it this way. Um, but the fact is that um, that's where we, once you do that, that forms a relationship. It's like you realize that Everybody is still doing that. Um, there's no done, which uh, people tend to think. And it's even ironic when people um, have a lot of focus on their work, potentially they're they're becoming a known name. You get caught in producing what people know you for. What does it do to your own artistic practice? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many ways to look at it. Um, I have to just tell you that it cracked me up. So of course, I really liked the color of your choice of um, cloth. But you got Beatrice in it in the beginning. And that's really cool. And that's another one that's like you, right? It's just the graphic designer in you finding that color. And I don't know if you noticed, but hello. (laughs) That's the designer in me. Where the color I'm talking about. Even my mask. Matches he, your matches. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's 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 a beautiful mask, actually. And I would it's, say the olive was informed by the color palette. As I stepped back and saw the final sequencing, um, what was the color that I felt would complement and go with? There's there's a lot of uh, yellows, oranges. Um, there there is some some olive, but it's really more sort of a contrast.
0: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I even really appreciated that. Well, we probably have time for one or two more questions. I can see from some of these people, I know they're working on book projects, so I'd love for them to be vulnerable and ask you something in their process, or share what they've learned in their own. Roland,
1: you must have a question. That's <laughs> a photographer friend of mine in Europe, and mm-hmm. England, and Lisa Abbott Paul.
2: Mm-hmm. Them. Well, David, I have one question for you. Um, when you were showing the photos, um, you know, that you put up on the board for the sequencing, what, what size were those photos? Were those four by six or were they? Those
1: are, yep, these are, just a little, I think they're four by six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Small enough that uh, you can move them around very quickly, almost like playing cards. Um,
0: Good.
2: Thank
1: you. Yeah, sure.
0: Did you want to mention your um, creative collaboration, the Observe Collective?
1: <sighs> sure. Um, that, that grew out of, if, if anyone knows, Flickr. Um, it used to be the place for, for photographers and um, especially back in street with street photographer photography, there were private communities, um, groups that you could go in and they were critique groups and um, you would the, the critiques would you'd have the, the if I remember the, the rules correctly. You, you had to comment, you had to critique everyone whose photograph each week was posted before you could post your own, and then you post mm. your own. And so then, and I think you had to rate it with a keep, yeah, it was a keep or ditch. And um, whoever had the most keeps would be the winner for that week. And talk about growing some really, really thick skin. Um, <laughs> People were brutal, um, but it actually made me learn so fast because, um, you know, some people they were just being mean and they'd say mean comments and you just blow those off. But then there are other people whose work you respected. And if they came down hard on, on one of your images, you learned and you fixed it <laughs> uh, if you wanted to grow. And um, so anyway, so there was this group of people all over the world. I mean, that was the beauty of of it is that the people were were from all over the world. And there was this sort of central group of people that um, we all just sort of grew this rapport and that moved into then another private group where um, it was a little bit more selective of who was included in it. And that is what um, at one point, one of the women from Dublin, um, suggested that hey, would uh, you people be interested in forming a collective where we start doing group projects and we do group shows, and um, and it's a really wide variety of different types. I mean, yes, it's street photography and documentary fo- photography was the is the common thread, um, but there's a huge span of of different styles and. Um, and respect, really, common respect. Harsh criticism, but common respect was sort of the 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 theme that drew us all together. And so there, now, I believe there are there are twelve of us, mm. um, four different continents, and we've had two shows um, in Germany um, that have turned into a whole weekend. Um, of uh, a street photography festival and um, the very first one focused on our work and it was in a museum in uh, this town called Iserloon in Germany and then we expanded it so that we opened it up and had a competition to other street photographers and it's a it's just an amazing community and um, and the town this town in Germany the people are so involved in the arts like on our opening, there were probably 200, 300 people that were there for the opening. Um, that's how embedded or in, um, invested in the arts. Um, and you don't really see that, at least I don't see it in the States like that. Um, like these people were really proud of their museum and you know the exhibits that go on there. And um, it's really grown. And actually last year was supposed to be the third year and um, and it was canceled because of COVID, but it will be next year. It will be 2022. That's and so,
0: and who who? How would people learn about it for the 2022? Um,
1: probably the best way is go to the Observe Collective uh, website,
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: will be announced on there. I think uh, Deb, also, there's a Facebook group for Observed Collective as well, mm-hmm. uh, or follow them on Instagram. It's probably even a better way to. Get updates about
0: that. Yeah, I think Deb already put it in the um, chat, the Observe Collection, which leads me to, to, to think of, okay, I'm thinking like three things at the same time. Okay, one is that we will follow this up with um, kind of a summary of, um, of, of the resources and the ideas that we came up with, kind of uh, cover it. Uh, that goes into on my website, the um, online photo, Book, book group and you can look at um, this one and you can hit on the cover of any of the books we've covered and get that same uh, flavor, what this is about, what are some of the things we touched on and you could look at uh, the recording and listen. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this idea of um, collectivity and uh, lifting each other up and the idea of the international conversation. So that led me to think of the journal collective which grew out of the pandemic for women photographers and ended up being 45 groups across six continents. Um, I hosted a webinar in December, also on my website, where you can li- literally listen to a woman photographer from each of the six continents in real time. And they too have a similar, uh, they are posting exhibitions on in Instagram, but out of the groups, it's a consensus of what is ultimately in that group of photographs, which I think is such an interesting way again to work. And it brings me back to two things, Um, the international conversation. One of the reasons I don't think we see that kind of conversation or uh, integration into the community that you described in Germany is um, the United States is competitive in a really interesting way. We tend to like flock to the flavor of the week and and even the trend of the week, and it really uh, squashes a lot of people's individuality because they're like, oh, aren't I supposed to look like Gregory Crutzen right now? And it's like, no, Gregory Crutzen's supposed to look like Gregory Crutzen, and that's about it. But we don't think like that, and it also brings me to this hierarchy that we tend to think of good, better, best, and I think that's. A lot of malarkey as well um, and that our collectivity and the expansive view the rhizomatic view is really so much stronger and i'll give one other example i often went to paris photo for a number of years obviously not last year it is happening this year um and their symposiums are amazing uh the platforms but so are some of the um Paris really, really supports photography, uh, one of the birthplaces, etc. But again, in that community way, it's everywhere. It's in the metro, it's in the parks, it's in all the museums. And people come to Paris Photo literally as families because they treat it like a museum because it's showing contemporary photography. But long story short, I went to the Swiss Institute for uh, a conversation. They had a panel of six. The room was standing room only there was at least 150 people in there and the conversation went for two and a half hours and I brought people because I had have been doing this insider's guide and everybody was like what and I'm like yeah this is what happens in other places literally the the topic then was augmented photography and it was spectacular right so don't limit yourself geographically. That's all I have to say. And be part of the conversation. Pick up the phone um, and and have that conversation. And I guess I just want to, I, I had thought sometimes I, weave quotes into my PDF. Um, And I told you, I think, David, that if I did anything, it would probably be in poetry, because that's what I think of with this book. So it led me to one of my faves, which is Mary Oliver. And she's written so much on so many things, but she's such um, an observer. And I just wanted to share, I pulled these from three different poems, but I thought they all spoke to this work. One is that um, she actually talks about this in an interview, but attention is the beginning of devotion. And I think that that's where I got that benediction because I felt the observation, the attention, you know, both you and Beatrice were observing each other and and, and, and entering into that. Um, the other is she often she has written on death. And um, because there was a piece of that in this in terms of the loss of Beatrice's husband, um, she talks about when she does die. She says, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like that cottage of darkness. And I thought it was really, again, brave to weave that fact into the images or into the story of images um and then this last one which is she talks about when it's over i want to say all my life i was a bride married to amazement i was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms so one of the things i love to do is is think about the poetry of images and i just think you've made a really poetic book and um And I really appreciate you being generous and sharing how you did that. And if there's any one last question, I'm totally. Yes, it
2: looks like we have Roland has a question.
0: Yay. Hi, Roland.
3: Hi there. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Uh, Well, despite the uh, extortionate shipping cost to the UK, I've uh, I've just bought a copy of the book. Having been sustained brutally to uh, such gorgeousness. Uh, relentlessly, I've had to uh, to give way. But my question was that the 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 Beatrice book, you know, is very poetic, and it, and it's a book which is completely on its own visual terms. Um, so it's completely and utterly, you, you know, your statement for yourself in a way. But you've often talked about your documentary work being much more, either you know, focused for a particular purpose, or you know, for a particular audience. And that's a very different kind of mindset. I just wonder whether having gone through this process and done a book like Beatrice, whether that mindset, that sensibility might influence your ongoing documentary work.
2: Mm.
1: Yes, it's certainly also opened a door that um, approaching a project like this, um, I think I would probably do it again because it is very personally satisfying. Um, How it would affect my documentary photography, I don't don't know offhand. Um, I would say that the documentary photography is what allowed me to do this work for sure. Um, But I don't know actually how it would work vice, vice versa. I'm sure there are things, I just couldn't put my finger on it right away.
3: Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's it's a the good fluctuate.
1: question. It's a very good question, though, and I'm sure that's probably something I'm yet to find out. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's what I was that's thinking. Possible. That's,
1: that's the best, yet to be seen. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, often, when I'm talking with people on their creative practice, um, encouraging people to get out of their comfort zone, encouraging people to dabble in other types of photography, makes you stronger across the board, it just gives you such insight. Um, And I liken it to um, a a trainer at the gym, right, talking to you about your abdomen, and that it's got layers of muscles, and you've got to do different exercises, like if you're used to doing crunches, they're going to come up with something else. And by having those other layers strong, it ultimately makes all of the work that much more impactful. But yeah, so um, sorry we don't have any Stevie Wonder to close out with David. <laughs> there, there was no need. Um, um, I had told Sib that I really didn't want to follow up on
1: Pete Souza, and uh, that we could just play Stevie Wonder songs because um, there would probably be no questions for me. But. <laughs> But it, it worked out just fine,
0: actually. Uh, yeah. Well, you made me think this morning. I was like, ooh, what C V Wonder song would I pull? So <laughs> I'll have to think about that. But um, we are excited that we're able to do this. And um, anyone who's new to the photo book book group, keep coming. Um, because we have a lineup right through June, um, which I'm really excited about. And uh, and this is what I love. I mean, this it's I love the experience of... Of the book, and then actually getting that peek behind the curtain uh, of how it came to be—it's really magical. So thank you, well, thank everybody, you so
1: much, sir, for the invitation, to and Beatrice, yeah. thank you for making this as well. Yes,
0: thank, thank you so much, you. Beatrice.